Hello, and welcome to the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast, powered by Jetro and Associates. Get ready for another action-packed episode from our team that will help you save time, taxes, and keep more money in your pocket. Hello and welcome back, small business owners, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast. My name is Mike Jezoshek. I'm a CPA and founder over at Jetro, which is a digital accounting firm servicing small business owners exclusively around the country. We assist them with accounting, bookkeeping, taxes, and payroll. Now, on today's webinar, on today's podcast episode, we have a very special guest, Eric Rosenberg. Eric is an MBA graduate from the University of Denver and a full-time entrepreneur. His core business is freelance writing, of which has appeared in publications including The Huffington Post, Business Insider, Investopedia, and many others. Eric has also worked with brands including TD Ameritrade, SoFi, Betterment, Travelers, Citizens Bank, BMO Harris, SelectQuote, Graphic, and Turo. Eric, welcome to the show, and I'm extremely excited to have you on to share some valuable information to our listeners. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So just to get started here, before we get into the main interview, we're going to do some quick fire intro questions. And it's going to be five total questions. Just a quick answer to help kind of get our audience um, warmed up for the interview. So Eric, why do you do what you do? I do it because I love it. I get to help people with money and I pinch myself every day that that's my job. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the best job in the world. One you love, right? Totally. Uh, what's one ritual that helps you become better at what you do? practicing a lot. I've been writing online for over 10 years about money. And I find just like anything else, if you practice writing, you get better at it. That's great. You know, when you say practice, one thing that comes to mind are those old NFL commercials are like practice, practice. <laughs> uh, but what app or system do you use to stay in control of your workload? Yeah, I use actually use a combination of two favorite apps. One is Gmail or G Suite, which I could not live without. That's my main communication system and for better or worse, oftentimes my to-do list. And I also use Asana, which is both a free and paid version. But I use the free version to help stay on top of all of my projects and work with teammates and virtual assistants. That's great. And, and you're not the first person, you know, including us as a, a firm here that has mentioned Google in the G Suite. It's just so convenient to have so many different robust apps that all integrate together. And so, you know, we're, we're big users of it as well. What's one book, podcast, or blog you would recommend and why? I have a lot of different blogs and podcasts I love, but if I had to pick just one, I'd probably say the Smart Passive Income podcast and blog by Pat Flynn. It's an amazing resource for any entrepreneur or anyone who wants to become an entrepreneur, particularly online, but offline too. Oh, that's great. I'll have to mark that one down. I haven't, uh, haven't caught that one yet. What is, and now finally, what topic are you going to be focusing on mainly in your interview coming up here? Yeah, the biggest focus I'm going to talk about is my shift from working full-time in a day job in gray cubicles to working online for myself as an, a full-time online entrepreneur. Excellent. Well, let's go ahead and get started in the interview. And the first, you know, to kind of kick things off, I, I want to say first kind of inter introduce the audience on kind of the life cycle or, or the, your career, where it has gone and how you got to where you are. And, you know, on top of that, you know, being a freelance writer, how did you get started with writing 
online. So just kind of a combination of what brought you to where you are today. Definitely. Yeah. So I actually started writing online. I started my very first blog way back in the summer of 2006, which I believe makes me a dinosaur in blogger (laughs) years. (laughs) So I've been doing this for a while. And when I started blogging, I did it just as a hobby. It was just something for fun. I uh, started writing about Israel and the Middle East because that's something I was passionate about. When I finished college, I got my first job as a bank manager. When I left that job, I realized I was reading all these different personal finance blogs, and many of them were by people who were in a ton of debt, and they were trying to share their story about getting out of debt. And I started to think, well, geez, I've never been in debt. I have a finance degree. And a month ago, I was the guy approving your mortgages and car loans and things like that. So I should be the one writing about personal finance. So uh, in October 2008, I started a little blog that became what is now personal profitability. That's my big online home. And it grew as a side hustle over time. So when I started, I never would have thought it would have become a full-time income. I remember my first ad I got on the blog. I was so excited. I thought, wow, I can buy a beer with how much money I made on the internet today. (laughs) This is fantastic. And then it grew to my rent and eventually mortgage. And in April 2016, it had grown to a point primarily by building a freelance business that stemmed out from my own blog into a, what I thought could be a full-time income. So like any good responsible dad with a stay-at-home mom, wife, and a six-month-old daughter, I quit my job, sold my house, and moved to one of the most expensive parts of the country. Excellent. <laughs> so what part of the country was that that you moved to? Yeah, so I'm in Southern California now. So about I'm in between uh, Santa Barbara and LA in a city called Ventura. So about know, two or three miles from the beach, we have great weather almost every day, but we also have great California taxes. I call that the sunshine tax that we pay to live here. (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, I was just out in in Southern California uh, about a month ago and I said, wow, this weather is great. And then I remembered clients that we have in the area and their tax returns. I said, I don't know if the weather is worth worth the tax return, but you know, that's everyone's preference. And every once in a while we joke about we could move to Nevada and buy a house twice the size for half the cost, probably pay for it in cash and have no state income tax. But then I'd give up this amazing California lifestyle and and there's scorpions in Nevada. I just don't think I could do that. (laughs) So you kind of got started writing in 2016, started the the blog and started the personal profitability in 2018. That was actually 2008. 2008. Yep. In a long time. Yeah. And then... Um, eight years later is when you kind of made that that journey where you're going to go full time. Yes. Yeah. I'd like to joke that it was only eight years of hard work and no one knowing who I was. And all of a sudden I was an overnight success. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Everyone's got their story. So, you know, based on, you know, that, that timeline that you had, what were some of the big hockey stick growth moments where your income took bigger steps up? Yeah. So there's the biggest moments usually came out of getting involved with a certain community where I was able to either network or learn something new that I didn't already know going into it. Because you're going into it, you know, like any brand new blogger a decade ago, my site ended with .blogspot.com. I learned things about marketing and branding and how to build an online business. Actually, one of the big moments was when I joined a group called the Yakezi which is still out there. It's run by a guy whose website is called Financial Samurai. And in that group, I learned a ton about online advertising 
and marketing and SEO and backlinks and all that kind of stuff you need to run an online business. So at that point, that was where I went from kind of beer money to rent money on my blog each month or, or different online income sources. And the next big hockey stick came out of getting involved with a community called FinCon. That's a financial blogging and media conference. When I went to the first FinCon, that was in 2011, that really helped my mind shift from thinking about this as a money-making hobby to a true business, to something that could grow and, and who knew what the limit was going to be. So at that point, that was really when I jumped to you know, kind of making mortgage payments money, starting to get to like half my income kind of money. And at FinCon, which I've gone to every single year, and I highly recommend it. I think it's a fantastic conference and event. And I, many of my closest friends I met there. But uh, some of the people I met there are actually not just friends. They were from bigger companies. I actually spoke at an event called Ignite FinCon. And if you're not familiar with Ignite, they're like TED Talks on speed. or okay. these five-minute talks. You have a 20-second slide or 20 slides on a 15-second auto advance. So it's exactly five minutes. It's really high speed and a lot of fun. And I got very involved with FinCon and started running Ignite at FinCon every year. I did that seven years. And one year when I was doing my talk, I mentioned, oh, yeah, I'm doing some freelance work. I'm available for hire. And a big company, a big investment company came up to me after one of their marketing people and said, hey, we'd love to work with you. And that became a, a good client, not one of the best clients ever, but it taught me that what I was doing on my website was something that other companies wanted and were willing to pay a lot more for than I was making for an average post. Mm -hmm. So by building those relationships and starting to add new clients, I got to a point actually in 2015, so the year before I quit my job, that I did 40000 in revenue on the side. And that was the big moment when I turned to my wife and said, wow, you know, the average person in Portland where we were living at the time makes about 40000 a year. If I can do that part-time, imagine what would happen if I did it full-time. So it wasn't like I just jumped in in 2016 without a net. I did have a, a big business that I was building. And while it wasn't paying me nearly as much as I was making as a senior financial analyst, which was my day job at the time, it was making enough that I thought, wow, I could really make a run at this. And in the worst case, you know, I, I could be an Uber driver, pick up some kind of gig work on evenings or weekends if I needed to pad it more. But luckily, after the move and I shifted full-time, I, I did some figuring things out and it was able to grow significantly to the point I hit, it was about three or four months after I went full-time, I did 10000 a month for the first time. And I've done that almost every single month since. I think I've missed it twice in the last roughly two and a half years. Uh, so yeah, it's been amazing success. I, I, I pinch myself sometimes. I'm like, wow, people really pay me for this. This is so cool. Um, you know, of course, I talk to people who are like, why would you ever want to write about money online? That sounds atrocious. But to me, that is such a cool dream job. I, it, it takes all of the things that I like about money. And I have two finance degrees I've earned along the way, undergrad and MBA. So all these different concepts that I've picked up, I'm now able to pass on to people. And it really changes and improves their lives. And again, I get paid for it. And it's not like we get paid poorly. If you, if you freelance and you do it well, you can make a good living. Yeah, no, absolutely. So just to kind of take a step back, when you started out, you know, blogging in 20, 2008, um, up to 2016, was most of that, the income and, and the, the regular 
you know, money that you had coming from that that eventually made you go full time. Was that coming from just your blog or were you guest posting? What was kind of the, the type of services or, or things that you were doing to generate the revenue that got you from beer money to mortgage money? Sure. Yeah. So the money that my blog was making directly was mostly the beer money, I'd say. I, I still make money at personal profitability, but that's around four figures a year. So it's not the thing that's making money directly. But I didn't realize when I was writing personal profitability in the beginning that I was, well, one, improving a skill. I was getting good at something that I would eventually want to do. If you told me in college I was going to be a writer at any point in my career, I probably would have laughed at you. <laughs> it was definitely <laughs> not part of my plan. But uh, as my blog grew and those freelance opportunities started to come in, that's where my real uh, money making came in. And of course, it's a dollars for hours thing, which a lot of people don't love uh, when they're running an online business. It is something that it takes my time to make money. I'd rather you know, or I would still like to move into something that scales a little better where I don't have to put in a certain number of hours to get paid. But at this point, it actually you know, lines up with what my old vision of retirement looked like. You know, a lot of people want talk about retiring early or FIRE. That stands for financial independence, retire early. And people are willing to live at these really, really meager levels, trying to earn as much as possible so they can save, you know, 50% or more of their paycheck so they can do what do they want to do? You know, sit at home and play on the computer all day. That, some days that's what it feels like I get to do. I work <laughs> from a home office. I control my schedule. I control my hours. Uh, in the month and a half before we recorded this, I think I took five trips, which was where I, for the first time, found out what too much travel looks like in my life. <laughs> but I've been able to do all these amazing things and have these great opportunities. And I'm there for my kids. I've, I've never, there was a day right before I quit my job, right before I gave my notice, when I had to go to work before my daughter woke up and I got home after she went to sleep. I thought, wow, I went a whole day of her life without seeing her once. That, that didn't feel right to me. And I know there are a lot of people who do that every day, but that was not something I wanted for my life. And I thought, well, what is retirement? It's being able to sit at home and work on what I want to work on. So now that is what I'm doing. And it turns out it is more work than I thought. Sitting at home and working is still working. <laughs> it's not just playing, but I get to work on my own terms. And I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that's funny that, uh, that you mentioned working from home is still work because a lot of times I, I've worked, I've, I've pretty much worked from home all my career. And when I was extremely young, kind of getting into very businesses, my parents would always ask me, are you ever going to get a real job? Uh, because they, they thought working from home that it was not real. So it's funny that you kind of mentioned that. Um, now it took a while for my parents to believe it was a real job, but <laughs> I, I eventually convinced them <laughs> when yeah. I showed them my income statements. Yeah, They're like, that, wow. That, that's doing... usually the indicator when they when they see they actually you're like oh you you are making money when you're down there you're not just tapping around on a computer so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you know, writing is the key thing to your business now was writing something you were always good at because you know let's be honest generally people in finance and accountants myself are, are usually not great writers and so is that a skill that you always had that you're able to now pair with the finance background or was writing a skill that you maybe had but you didn't realize you had it and you found it through these communities that you were a part of and and going to FinCon and, and those various events? Yeah that's a great question. So writing is something that I think I've always been at least a little bit naturally good at. 
I actually hated English and language arts classes through my sophomore year in high school. I actually had a, a terrible teacher that year um, and I was just like over it. But then I was really lucky to have an amazing and encouraging English teacher my junior year in high school. And then again, my senior year in high school. And they taught me that actually writing doesn't have to be this rigid, horrible thing like it is in elementary school, that there's creativity and flow. And I learned about writing with my voice and things like that. And my teacher said, well, actually, you're, you're pretty good at this. And I started doing well in English class when I had a good teacher. And then when I was getting ready for college, the first place where I ever it was actually a big surprise where I found out I was a good writer was if you remember the SAT two tests. I don't yeah. even think those are around anymore. They just existed for a little while. But on the SAT two, I got a perfect score on the writing section. Um, and I always thought I was a math guy. So I said to my parents, like, wow, what is this? Like, I did better in writing than math. That was the first time that it ever happened to me. But then I got a, it felt like an easy aid to me in business writing in college. And then I started blogging just because I thought it was fun. And, you know, when I started, as I mentioned in the beginning, I wasn't writing about money at all. I didn't think it was something I was even going to make money doing. But I enjoyed blogging. I enjoyed sharing my thoughts and, and opinions because, you know, like most people, we all think we're very wise at, at you know, the ripe age of 22 or however old I was <laughs> at the time. And by just sharing more, I've been able to, I was able to build that into something that I thought, wow, maybe I can make money on this if I do it the right way. So when I started my personal finance blog, I did, I did plan to make a few dollars off of it, but I had no idea it was going to grow to what it is. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, now, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there. You know, most people, they don't just quit their job and start a business brand new. Most people try to ease their way into it so that they have some uh, easy transition phase in there. How did you, when you finally made that decision, I'm going to go full time on my own, how did you decide to take that side hustle of yours and make it your full-time hustle? Yeah, so the I wasn't even really sure I was ever going to quit my job until about 24 hours before I did it. <laughs> I had talked about it and joked about it with my wife for a while, but it was never anything I'd really, really seriously thought, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, there had been some cool events I'd gone to. like I went to a conference called World Domination Summit. It's uh, held by a guy named Chris Gillibo, who wrote the book Art of Nonconformity. And I loved that book and I loved that conference. And they both really inspired me with the idea of being self-employed. So it was something that had been in my head kind of on and off. But at, until I had that day where I didn't see my daughter and I was living in you know, dreary Portland, 10 months of the year, clouds and rain. And I was just feeling really down about things. And I thought, wow, the the grass is kind of greener with this opportunity of working for myself online. So when I decided it was time to go full time and I gave my notice, I actually gave two weeks notice at work and they asked if I'd stay on another month to make it six weeks notice because it wasn't like I was just jumping out for another job. And I said, yes, I, I didn't want to burn any bridges. I stayed that extra month. But during that you know, six week transition period I had, one, I was traveling down to California looking for houses because I told them, you know, I'm moving to California, I need a place to live. And that was part of me staying on longer. But I also used that time to really hustle and build my client list. So I had some clients I was writing for very part-time, you know, maybe an article or two a month. And I reached out to all of them and said, hey, I'm about to go full-time. If you need any more, I'm available. 
So I got, you know, some clients gave me even three or four times as much work as I'd had with them. And then I was out hustling, trying to find new clients, which they're out there. <laughs> I was doing things like going on the pro blogger job board and other online job boards, places like Upwork, where you don't make usually as much per hour or per article or per word, however, however you get paid, but I needed to fill that client list. And I actually was also running a business as a WordPress developer when I quit my job. That was about 20% of my income ballpark and writing was about 80%. I guess if you squeeze those two together, maybe another five was coming out of my blog. So okay, uh, those are kind of ballparks. I know that adds up to 105, but <laughs> let's, <laughs> it was maybe, you know, 78% or something was writing and you know, 17, 15% was uh, website work. And after yeah. I went full time, I, I was getting more clients on both sides of the business, both the website stuff and the writing stuff. And it was actually an aha moment with my QuickBooks. I know you, you're a CPA. I've, I've been a senior accountant in my past in a corporate setting. So I'm always focusing on my numbers. And I think it is so important to have up to date books, whatever app you use for your books. I use QuickBooks. And I remember sitting at my kitchen table, which was my office for about a year and a half after I quit my job when we lived in a two-bedroom apartment before we got a house, which is something I don't recommend. Don't work at your kitchen table. <laughs> I was sitting there and I looked at my um, most recent income statements and I thought, wow, I'm making about 80% of my money from writing. And that's where I'm spending about 20% of my time. And I'm making about 20% of my income from website work, but that's taking about 80% of my time and maybe contributing 90% of my stress. And if you have ever read the four hour work week or you know, ever took a statistics class, you might've heard of the Pareto principle or the 80, 20 rule. Mm -hmm. And that was the 80, 20 rule smacking me in the face saying, Eric, look at this. You're spending all this work on your website business and yeah, it's making you money, but it's not nearly as successful as your writing. And that's taking so much less time. So I took a bit of a risk again, just about two or three months after quitting my job. And I totally cut off the website development side of my business. I said, this is just not working for me. And I doubled down on writing. And that was the point where over about three months, my income tripled. And I broke through that 10,000 barrier for the first time in a month. Oh, wow. And so, you know, with that, um, with that decision going full-time, taking a side hustle full-time, when you were walking out with that final, that final day with the box of stuff from your office in the week leading up after that, was there any point in time you're like, I think I made a mistake or did you have any doubt or did you have any, you know, were you scared or nervous about what you were doing or were you just confident saying this is going to work and we're just going to keep pushing forward? Oh yeah, the night I gave my notice, I almost had a nervous breakdown. I was—I remember sitting there saying to my wife, did I just make the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life? I have this great job at a company I like that pays me well, great benefits, you know, health insurance, things like that, which are very expensive when you're self-employed. You know, I'm very appreciative to have the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare because I wouldn't have been able to get insurance and leave my job otherwise but it's still really expensive. <laughs> That's something you have to plan for. Um, so yeah, I was, I was kind of freaking out. Like, what am I doing moving to California right after I quit my job? It, it just seemed crazy. But my wife was the one who talked me down off that ledge and said, 
I wouldn't have supported you if I didn't think you could do it. Look at how successful you've already been. All of the logic of if you can do it part-time and make 40000 in a year, taking it full-time, you can make more settled back in. And I thought, this is it. I'm doing it. This is what I planned for. And I stuck the course, and I'm so glad I did. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of people have a similar story where, where they go to quit their full-time job and, and take their um, side hustle to be, you know, replace their full-time job. And there is a lot of fear. There's a lot of stress and anxiety involved in that. But um, just as many people that have that fear and stress and anxiety have success stories too. And so that's, that's great to hear that it's normal. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. going to have that feeling. Nothing, you know, it's not going to feel perfectly right. But just knowing that, hey, there's someone out there that did the same thing. There's a lot of people out there have done the same thing, have seen success from it, and it just works out. And eventually, if you, you know, I want to say, I wish I could say only hard work is the key. That's not the only thing, but that's a big part of it. You know, having a good business is important too. Actually, that, that guy I mentioned earlier, Chris Gillibo, in another book he wrote called The $100 Startup, he said, all you really need to run a successful business is a product or service a way to deliver it, and someone who wants to buy it. So if you can do those things and get those in place, and then you're willing to work hard at it, there's not much that will get in your way and stop you. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, now, earlier you mentioned that, uh, you know, at least your current job is a lot of dollars for hours and for the writing and things that you do on that. It, you know, with that, it means that your income is not just flat rate and same thing coming in every month. So as a freelance business owner, how do you manage that variable income each month? Um, you know, not knowing exactly what's going to come in and it could be higher, it could be lower. How do you manage that variable piece of that income versus when you were obviously working a full-time job, it was the same thing. You had your salary, same thing every month. How do you manage that variable side? Yeah, that's that's a big challenge I think a lot of self-employed people deal with or anyone who doesn't make that consistent, stable income. So what I found is I, I automate very differently than I used to. So in, in the old days when I had my paycheck every, it was every other week or twice a month, whatever my schedule was, I knew X percent was going into my 401k. I automatically put $211 every pay period into a Roth IRA. So I'd max that out every year. The limits have gone up. So if you're going to do that, save a little more than I did. <laughs> there, were, there were a few things like that that were just so easy and so predictable. I was able to automate almost everything. Now these days I'm making more, but my expenses and my income are lumpier. So there are months that I'll make you know, way more than others. Uh, hopefully I don't have months where I make way less <laughs> that, that I have a certain floor I'd like to be above. And I do set a goal. Actually, I, I set a goal of 10,000 every month in revenue. That's not always profit, but I try to make as much of that profit as I can. Uh, so when I'm doing that, I use a few apps, things like if you, you guys know Acorns, that is an automated investing app I use to stash money away without thinking about it. I use another one called Capital with a Q, Q-A-P-I-T-A-L to automatically save every, um, every week. So I'm using some things to automate those savings, but then I also find that I'm having to do more things in lumps. So where I used to save that $211 every pay period, now it's you know, sometime usually in the fall, I'll have enough cash lying around to just max out my Roth IRA in a month. So 
I, I can't always say I'm going to have that $211 every other week the way I used to, but hopefully if I manage things right and I always have to stay on a budget, I think anyone needs to stay on a budget. It doesn't matter how much money you make, uh, just a good practice to have at least some high level spending plan. So by knowing where my money is going, I know that I'm able to make more than that minimum need and I can save and invest the rest, which I actually heard a great quote. I don't remember where I heard it, but someone once said, if you could distill all personal finance knowledge into one sentence, it is spend less than you earn and save and invest the rest. So that's what I try to do. Yeah, no, I think that's good. And that, that, that that's not just for people that are just starting out. That, that goes to all levels of business owners. And I think it's, it's good to know and something that as you're just starting out, it's vital that they think of these questions and, and think of this ahead of time because that can be a huge difference when you're expecting a paycheck every Friday for X dollars amount. Also, now maybe your receivables go out a month and now you're getting everything on the first of the month or whatever it might be. But planning for that, adjusting for that, and it does take when it comes to budgeting, you can budget very similar that you were before. But as far as the, the timing of everything, you have to be ready for that and, and, and be really articulate when you're planning for that phase. So I think that's good information and, and helpful. And, you know, especially for our listeners here that are just starting out, take some information, take what Eric said here and think about that as you're making that journey, you know, think about how you're going to plan out, um, you know, some of those things that come with a variable, variable income every month. Yeah. Self-employed people tend to be, worse savers for retirement than people with a day job just because of how automated and easy it all is. But you don't want to be poor in retirement. You don't want to lose your house. You don't want to have a lower standard of living. And yeah, social security is great. And as of this point, I'm still planning on it being there when I retire. But <laughs> that alone isn't going to be enough to maintain the lifestyle I want. I need to save more than that. I'm actually in the process now of I had a, I have an SEP IRA, which is a kind of of a self-employed IRA, and I'm rolling that into a new self-employed 401k because that has a lot more flexibility in how much and how I can save. So that's my plan. Is yeah, more money in there. That's great that you mentioned that because we actually just had an episode a couple of weeks ago where we compared the SEP IRA versus the solo 401k and kind of broke down the difference of each, you know, why one may, may make more sense to the other. Um, and, and I kind of finalized that podcast episode by saying, whichever platform you choose, whether it's a SEP, whether it's a solo, whether you just want to do a traditional IRA, I said, whichever way you, whichever retirement vehicle you choose, the biggest thing is just make sure you choose one. Because as you mentioned, self-employed individuals oftentimes don't even think of retirement. Uh, it, it's something that doesn't come to mind in the day-to-day -day, um, hustle, which I, which I get because every, every business owner is just hoping to grow, grow, grow. And, and their thought is 10, 15 years from now, they won't have to worry about money. But in reality, time, you know, that, that, that thought of saving for retirement needs to be done um, in the meantime, just to ensure that. Because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen down the road. You don't know where your business is going to grow. You don't know where your how your industry might change, which causes a, a big halt in your industry. So, um, you know, the SEP, the Solo 401k, great vehicles to use. And, and that's something that we, again, we just had a podcast episode a couple weeks ago regarding that. Um, but, you know, I, I always caution just as you did. 
whatever retirement vehicle you choose, just make sure you choose one and are putting something away at whatever level that means to you. That's going to change from business to business and person to person, but just make sure something's being put in there. So you mentioned, you know, kind of um, some of those auto, auto retirement or auto investing options, but uh, do you have any other, what are some of your favorite ways to save for an emergency fund or retirement or, you know, any kind of extra funds that you have? What are some of your favorite ways to save for those with a variable income? Yeah. So with, to make it more automated with a variable income, I end up saving less automatically. And then as I mentioned, I kind of do more lumps when I have the, the cash available to just throw in a savings account or throw into an investment account. But mm-hmm. even when I don't have those great months, I'm always saving automatically at least a little bit. Like I have uh, two kids and I want to make sure I have the money for them to go to college. So every month without fail, I automatically put $25 each into a 529 plan. Um, every week, no matter what, I automatically put $20 into that SCP, which is going to be the 401k when I switch it over. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things you can do to take you know, those at least smaller amounts automatically. And you know, hopefully you're managing your cash flow well enough that you're never at a month that you're really scraping the bottom. And that can happen. But that is why we have emergency funds. You know, I think the, the first real emergency fund ever goes back to the biblical story, whatever your religion is. If, if you know the story of in Egypt, when Joseph said he had, a, he had a dream that they should save for seven years when there will be seven good years, because then there's going to be seven years of famine. And that lesson, whether or not you believe in you know, whatever your religious beliefs are, that lesson is a very good lesson because if things are going well now, we want to think they're going to go well forever but they may not. Now, there will be a bad year. There will be a recession. Things happen. There are injuries. There are illnesses. You never know. So it is so important to have a good emergency fund and good insurance as well, especially if you're self-employed. Yeah, no, that, that's great information. And, you know, working in, uh, as a CPA, we see businesses in various different industries and um, very different lifestyles of business owners. And there's a lot of times where, you know, if we see a business that, that outright fails, um, it's usually not because they've never been able to get off the ground. And it's usually because of those reasons. They had great, great years. And during those great years, they spent, spent, spent because they had the money available. And so they would go on lavish vacations or buy crazy things for the business, jets and things like that. And all of a sudden when that down year came, they have no money, but they have all these fun things and cool things and, you know, vacation experiences that are no longer valuable to them. And so, um, you know, I I think that that's key is, you know, a key thing to take, take to heart is, um, plan for always plan for things, you know, to not to, to go bad. And so that's not saying that in a good year, don't reward yourself. I'm not saying that, but just don't overextend yourself to a point where if you do have a bad year, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, definitely keep your overhead low, even if you're tempted to grow it. Because, you know, let's say um, some crazy politician decides to raise tariffs on another country and it impacts your business. You know, that's happening right now to a lot of different small business owners. And if they weren't prepared, all of a sudden they have to absorb those new costs. And if you have a lot of overhead, 
you don't have much room to wiggle if something changes, you know, whether it's, you know, a supplier cost or maybe you live in a state where minimum wage went up and you have employees and you'll be paying them more. You know, your, your overhead, once you buy that new building or new vehicle or whatever it is that you use for your business, that's not going away. That is committed money. You are going to have to pay every month, no matter what, where those variable costs, you can cut those pretty easily. You can wiggle your way out of them. So when things are going well, if you really want to spend to grow, don't spend in a way that makes you spend more. Spend in a way that saves you or helps you grow without you know, committing to spending again every month. Yeah, no, that's great. So, Eric, I really appreciate you coming on. I think this is great information for, for business owners in all stages, whether they're just starting out, whether they don't even have a side hustle yet, um, or whether they're you know, an established business. I, th- I think you know, what we shared here today is extremely valuable to them. Uh, you know, as to kind of wrap up here, how can someone reach you and what are some ways that people can reach out to you if they do want to contact you, learn more about what you're going on or what you have going on or explain a little bit about what you're doing? The best places to connect with me, if if you want to just send a quick note to me and reach out, I'm on Twitter at Eric Profits, or my website is personalprofitability.com. And I actually have a freebie to give to you guys for being listeners today. If you go to personalprofitability.com slash bootcamp, I have a free week-long series. You get an email every morning with a link to a video with a different lesson on personal finance. And most of those lessons are perfect for people who own a small business or a growing business. And I would love to see you guys there. Again, that's no cost at personalprofitability.com slash bootcamp. Awesome. Eric, thanks for coming on. I'm sure uh, as, as we get more listeners and you know, feedback from listeners on this podcast, um, we'll definitely probably reach out to have you kind of expand on some of the topics that, that we discussed today. So thanks for coming on and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here and good luck with your businesses, everyone. This has been another episode of the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast from the team at Jetro and Associates. If you have any questions, feel free to email them, tax at jetrotax.com. We have packages for small business owners starting at just $75 a month. If you enjoyed our podcast, please take the time out to give us a five-star review in iTunes or wherever you listen. This helps us to bring you useful tips to help you grow your small business. Thanks for listening and have a great day.